Man, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm excited about this message, and I pray that you're going to leave here with your eyes, your spiritual eyes illuminated, and perhaps you'll learn something uh, that the Bible is going to teach you today that you didn't know. Now, last week we heard that the Bible's description of a city will serve as the crown jewel of God's heaven. Today, we're going to look, in a manner of speaking, at what's in it for me. What's in it for you? Now, I read that there are roughly 42 different award shows that are available for you to watch every year. You can watch the Academy Awards. You can watch the People's Choice Awards. You can watch the Golden Globe Awards. You can watch the Screen Actors Guild Awards. You can watch the Grammy Awards. You can watch the Emmy Awards. You can watch the Daytime Emmy Awards. You can watch the Country Music Awards. And y'all, the list goes on and on and on. But today, I want to tell you about an award show that's coming that will put them all to shame. Not only for its magnificence, but also for the sheer quality of the awards they're going to be given. I'm talking about rewards given to believers for faithful service to the Lord. Now this concept of rewards is found throughout the Bible, but specifically in the New Testament in Matthew 5, Jesus preached the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount what was called the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, he began each sentence with, Blessed are the so-and-so. What that really means is, God blesses the so-and-so. God rewards the so-and-so. So it might go like this. God blesses the poor in spirit. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses the meek. He blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God blesses the pure in spirit. He blesses the merciful. He blesses the peacemakers. He blesses those who are persecuted for His namesake. And great is their reward in heaven. But at the end of the Bible, we find a verse in which this entire message is built upon. It's in Revelation chapter 22, eight verses from the very end of the Bible. And in that verse 12, we find Jesus saying this, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now today, we're going to see a lot of other places in where the Bible speaks specifically about the when, the where, and the what of the Lord's heavenly rewards for believers. Let's begin with the question, when are heaven's rewards given? Well, simply put, the Bible says that after all believers... 
both dead and alive, are removed from the earth in what is called the rapture of the Lord's church, believers will be judged individually for their works. But get this. They will be judged for their works as Christians. They will be judged for their works as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. At that special time, the Bible's clear that special rewards will be given to believers by God Himself. Now, Romans 14, 12, the Bible says that each of us shall have to give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 14, the Bible says, If anyone's works with which they have built upon endures, he will receive a reward. So this concept of rewards is purely, purely biblical. But listen to this, and it is imperative that you get this this morning. This judgment, this judgment of believers, this judgment seat of Christ has zero to do with whether you are saved or not. Okay? This has zero to do with your salvation. But it has everything to do with how faithful you've been as a follower of Christ. It has everything to do with what kind of Christian you've been since you've come to Jesus. So heavenly rewards will be handed out when the Lord has raptured his own. But where? Where will that occur? Where are heaven's rewards given? Well, God's word clearly says that these rewards are given at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this judgment seat of Christ is not some final exam to see if you're suitable for heaven or not. Okay? The Bible could not be more clear that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by anything that we may or may not have done to quote-unquote deserve heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.18, the Bible's clear. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself, reestablished that relationship through Jesus Christ. You know that the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So friend, listen, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins have been forgiven, and that, that is what qualifies you to enter the holy presence of God in heaven. It's all Jesus. Your sins the past ones, the present ones, and the future sins were paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And those sins will not be a subject of examination at this judgment seat that I'm talking about this morning. Instead, this judgment seat 
is where you're going to be rewarded or not for your faithful service to the Lord Jesus since you've become a child of God. Since you have become a Christian, since you have trusted the Lord Jesus to save your soul, he's going to take a look at what kind of life you've lived. See, we need to understand that we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. And every one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ ought to be about doing good works for the glory of God and the kingdom of heaven. But sadly, that truth doesn't seem to resonate That truth has not struck much of a chord with a lot of Christians. In fact, did you know that surveys say that the lifestyles of most Christians ain't that much different than that of non-Christians? That's a little scary. Jesus ought to make a difference in our life. Our faith in Christ ought to make a difference in how we live. Not for ourselves any longer, but for him who died for us and gave himself. So listen, friends. If that's the case with you, if your life ain't much different than a non-believer, I'm telling you, you in for a rude awakening. Because like the Bible said, we're all going to come before the judgment seat of Christ. And if you've been living a non-Christian life as a quote-unquote believer... You're in for a rude awakening. Because when we stand before this judgment seat of Jesus Christ, all of our disobedience as a believer, all of our lack of faithfulness as a believer is going to come up before us. We're going to see all those golden opportunities that we had to share the good news and didn't. We're going to see all those golden opportunities where we could have helped somebody But we didn't. And it's then and there that many are going to discover that there won't be any rewards for them. I really like how author Bruce Wilkinson put this whole concept. Listen carefully to what he writes. He said that our eternal destination is the consequence of what we believed here on earth. However, our eternal compensation is the consequence of how we behaved as believers here on earth. Friend, when you stand before this judgment seat of Christ, it's not about getting into heaven. You're already there. It's about the Lord's evaluation of your faithful service to Him since you've been a believer. So when are these heavenly rewards given out? After the rapture of the church. Where are these heavenly rewards given out? The Bible is clear they're given out at the judgment seat of Christ. But what are they? What are these heavenly rewards? Well, the New Testament describes 
five different kinds of rewards for the faithful believer. The Bible calls these rewards crowns. And I want to talk to you a little bit about these crowns this morning. Because these are likely not all of the rewards, but they do represent the kind of faithful service that God is looking for and looking to reward. The first one's called the victor's crown. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers and he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain that prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. That is, he's disciplined and he exercises self-control in all things. Now, they do it in order to receive a perishable crown. However, we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, this is the way that I run, Paul says. Not with uncertainty. This is the way I fight. Not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached it to others. I myself. Will not. Be disqualified. For the award. Paul called this victor's crown. An imperishable crown. And the reason he said that was because if athletes who are running track or running in a race, if they work that hard to obtain a perishable crown of an olive branch at the Olympic Games, how much harder should we work for an imperishable crown given to us by God in heaven? got to work a whole lot harder than any track star. Paul's whole point here is this. Winning, getting the award, whether it be in track or in your spiritual life, requires some discipline. Whether you're running a race or you're living a life for Jesus, it requires some training. And we ought to be about that. Making time. Making time for Bible study. Taking time to worship the Lord. Making time. Taking time to share the good news. To help out your neighbor. Freeing up your time. Freeing up your resources to do God's work. You see, all those things require sacrifice. And Jesus is our leader when it comes to sacrifice. He gave his all, and we ought to follow him in sacrifice. See, when we exercise that kind of sacrifice, when we exercise that kind of discipline for the glory of God, not for self, then the Lord gives that believer 
a victor's crown. Now there's a second one. And it's called the crown of rejoicing. And Paul asked the believers at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. He said, what is our hope? I mean, what hope do we have? What joy do we have? What is our, here we go, crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? See, while the victor's crown is awarded for those who make a habit of discipline and training to do the work of God for the glory of God, this crown is given to those who reach others for the glory of Jesus Christ. This crown is given to those who lead other people to heaven. This crown is given to those who are not satisfied with going to heaven just themselves. They won't take somebody with them. I mean, it's great, friends, for Christians to talk to other Christians about Jesus, isn't it? I love it. But when was the last time you intentionally, deliberately talked about Jesus to somebody who wasn't a Christian? It's a lot harder and takes greater sacrifice. Can I just say that there ain't no better day than today to start talking to people about Jesus who aren't Christians? The third crown is the crown of righteousness. And here, Paul writes to his young apprentice, Timothy. And in verse 8 of chapter 4, 1 Timothy, he writes, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not me only, but also to all, to all who loved his appearing. If that victor's crown is all about disciplining and training yourself to, for the glory of God, and if the crown of rejoicing is all about taking somebody to heaven with you, this crown is about something different. You see, when Paul wrote that, he was a prisoner in Rome. Paul knew that his day was coming. He knew he was getting ready to die. But he has run his race faithfully, and he looks forward to this crown of righteousness, which is given to all who simply cannot wait to see Jesus return. I've heard a lot of people dreading the return of Christ. I won't get to spend time with my grandbabies. What about them? What about my kids? This crown is given to those who just can't wait, who just yearn for the Lord to come back today. You see, so many Christians, they get so caught up in earthly exciting things that they forget, earth ain't your home. You're just passing through. 
Earth is not your home. But these folks have so much to do. They have so many places to go. They have so many people to see, so many ball games to play. They just don't think about heaven that much anymore. This crown ain't for them. This crown is not for that kind of believer. This crown is for those who just yearn, who long for their true home in heaven. This crown is for those believers who just cannot wait to see the face of their Savior. There's a fourth crown mentioned in scriptures, and it's called the crown of life. In James chapter 1, James wrote, Blessed is the man, rewarded is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. People say, I love Jesus. I guess I'm getting that crown. I love him. But the Bible says that the recipients of this crown are not only those who love him superficially, but they love him even when the fire gets hot. They love him in the midst of persecution. They love him when they're suffering. They love him when they're sorely tempted by the devil. And Revelation even says, Jesus said, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. The ones that are getting this crown love him even if they're facing death for their faith. This crown is given for those who maintain their love for Christ in the midst of all these horrible trials of life. Did you know that it is estimated that 70 million Christians have been killed for their faith over the past 2,000 years? 70 million have loved Jesus even if it cost them their life. I would say that those are the ones that are getting this cross. Because after all, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Even when the fire is hot. Even when the water is deep. Even when the storm blows through. They'll obey and love me. This crown, friend, is not only though for martyrs, those killed for their faith. No, this is also for those who have suffered, endured, persevered, and even encouraged other people. Hey, hang in there. Keep on keeping on. Keep loving Jesus. No matter what you're going through. But there's a fifth crown I want to share with you, and it's called the crown of glory. The crown of glory. And Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 5, 4, and he says... He's writing to the elders of the church and he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, not because you got to, but willingly, 
not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. For when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. The crown of glory that does not fade away. This is a crown that I pray I might be faithful enough to receive one day. Because this is a crown given to those who are faithful under shepherds for the people of God. Now, this crown is not just for pastors. This crown is not just for deacons. This crown is not just for other visible leaders in the church. No, this crown will also be given to faithful shepherds of the sheep no matter what age they're leading and no matter what size the group is they're leading. Those who receive this crown might include faithful Sunday school teachers. People that get this crown might include those who are are leading a small group or some type of ministry or perhaps they're leading in the nursery or with children or over the youth group. This crown is for those faithful believers who willingly lay down their life put their life on pause so that they can minister and lead the people of God. This crown is a crown that could be given to someone who leads people of all ages. The youngest of the young and the oldest of the old. So after the rapture of the church at the judgment seat of Christ, heavenly rewards for faithful service of all kinds will be given by God himself. And for me, only one question remained. And that is, what difference does it make? What difference should heavenly rewards make in my life now? Now that I've learned about these five crowns, these five rewards, how should that affect the way I live my life now? How should all those crowns affect how I serve God in my present life? I mean, what difference does, it, does a future reward make in my personal relationship with Christ? Well, a couple things. First of all, remember that the Lord himself is our greatest reward. In Genesis 15:1, we studied about this Wednesday with our children, in fact. God has promised Abraham, he said, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your protector, but I am also your exceedingly great reward. Now, I'm sure... Abraham was getting ready to go through the storm. I bet he was a little fearful when God told him to leave his country, to leave his family, to go to an unknown land, to go and that God would make him a great nation and that through him all the people of the earth would be blessed. That'd make me scared. But more than anything, 
More, more than all that, the Lord wanted Abraham to know that beyond the lands, beyond the descendants that he would have, beyond the countless blessings he would have, those all mean nothing. They don't mean a hill of beans apart from having God in your life. The Lord himself, friend, is your greatest reward. Count yourself blessed that the Lord has you as part of his life. Secondly, we must also resist doing outward works just to receive a reward. You see, although we're saved from sin, we all still sin. Somebody say amen. The flesh wants what the flesh wants, right? So we all have this struggle. And this flesh that we live in can be tempted just like an immature kid. It can be tempted just like an immature child to be obedient as long as I get a reward. I'll obey you, God, as long as I get a reward. You know what you call that? You call that play acting. And Jesus saw a whole lot of play acting amongst the religious people when he was living down here. He told them, do not do your charitable deed before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will not receive a reward from your Father in heaven. See, the reason we serve is the same reason Jesus saved. Love. We serve God because we love God. Not because we're going to get anything in return. We've already got Far more than we deserve. Somebody say amen to that. Rewards are just how God expresses his joy toward you. Because of how much you love him. No one says, I serve God because I'm getting a bunch of rewards in heaven. Why don't they say that? Because that ain't serving God. Who's that serving? serving self. So not only do you realize that the Lord himself is our greatest reward but we realize we don't do works good works just to get a reward. But finally I want to encourage you to reflect on the ultimate goal of all these crowns and rewards that I've spoken to you about this morning. Most importantly we have to reflect upon what we will ultimately do with these crowns that we might or might not receive in heaven. See, in Revelation chapter 4, which is going to be for our next message, actually. But in Revelation 4, the Bible says that 24 elders who represent all believers in heaven will cast down their crowns before the throne of God. You get them one minute and you can't wait to get to the throne of God, the throne of the Lamb, to cast them down the next. 
And when you cast those crowns down before the throne of God, you will say, as these 24 elders said, You are worthy, O Lord, not me. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You, O Lord, are the one who created me. You, O Lord, are the one who created all things. And by your will, O Lord, they existed and were created. You see, this whole reward ceremony in the throne room of God is going to be all about Him. It's going to be all about the Lord. You may receive one, maybe more crowns. Glorious, incredible crowns for your faithful service to the Lord. But you're going to be so excited about Jesus that you can't wait to fall at His feet and cast your crown before the throne of God in a, in a picture of worship and praise. Because see, if it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't have no crown. It's all about the Lord, isn't it? Jesus gave his best to bring us to heaven. And one day, if you're faithful on this earth, you're going to have an opportunity to take your best and place it before the feet of Christ and thank him for the privilege of being where he is. So friend, do you fear that you might miss out on this amazing experience? Do you think, well, Bill, it don't sound like I'm going to be getting very many rewards. Doesn't sound like I'm getting very many crowns. Well, I want you to know that does not have to be. It does not have to be that way. Because starting today, starting today, if you will begin sacrificially disciplining yourself to bring other people to heaven for the glory of God, He might give you the victor's crown. Friend, if you will start today leading other people into a relationship with Jesus so you won't be the only one in heaven, they'll be there with you then you might get the crown of rejoicing. If you will start today, friend, longing for Jesus' return, longing for your home in heaven more than anything else in life, you might get that crown of righteousness. If you will start today Loving the Lord regardless of the fire you're going through. Regardless of the temptation. Regardless of the suffering. Regardless of your death even. You might get that crown of life. Friend, if you will start today just being an under-shepherd. Maybe that means being the daddy you're supposed to be. Or being the mama. You're supposed to be for the glory of God. That's being an under-shepherd, isn't it? Maybe it's plugging in, connecting with the church, where you have opportunities for any kind of small group you want to you lead. 
to get involved with the children, to get involved with the teens, to get involved with any group within the marriage, the, the seniors, it doesn't matter. There's ample opportunity for you to become this kind of under-shepherd. And if you'll do that, starting today, maybe you'll get that crown of glory. If you'll start today, living wholeheartedly for Jesus, I want to promise you, as your brother and as your pastor, if you'll do it, you will have a crown to cast at the feet of the Lord Jesus. But don't wait any longer. Let today be your defining moment. Don't even consider for a second bowing before the throne of God empty-handed. all because of him and you can start this process of rewards just by coming and giving your life to Christ first maybe you've been a Christian for a while but just this morning you realize if I showed up today before the front of God I'd be doing so empty handed Whatever decision the Lord is leading you to make, hey, there ain't no better day than today. Let today be your defining moment. And go before the throne of God loaded. Let me pray for you. Father God, we don't do anything for the purpose of receiving a reward. Lord, we faithfully serve you just so that we might be able to glorify you and honor you the way you so richly deserve. Father, there very well may be one person in here who needs to start this process by giving their life to Christ. Father, if you're speaking to somebody about that kind of decision, Lord, you just draw them today. Allow me to show them what the Word of God says about how they can become a born-again, saved-from-sin child of God. Lord, for that one that's been a believer for a long time, but maybe they realized this morning that if today were their day, they might show up before the throne of God empty-handed. Lord, let not this day go without a decision. Let today be their defining moment. They may say, I don't know where I can serve or how I can serve. All I know is that I'm not going to go before the throne of God empty-handed. I want to serve God somehow, some way today. Hey, friend, we'll find your place. The Lord will find you a place if you'll just sacrifice yourself. Lord, let it all be for the glory of God this morning. Let this be your decision time. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing.